This is HPR episode 2685 entitled Scientific and Medical Reports and is part of the series Health and Healthcare. It is hosted by Ahuka and is about 14 minutes long and carries a clean flag. The summary is We need to be careful about evaluating news reports about medical studies. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Hello, this is Ahuka welcoming you to Hacker Public Radio and another episode in our series on health and taking care of yourself. And I want to spend a few uh, episodes talking about evaluating uh, medical reports. Um, I mean, we get a lot of them, but do we really know uh, how good they are? How do we evaluate them? Uh, There are some uh, issues that I think really need to be discussed. Uh, So, you know, where I am at least, and I assume this is probably true for a lot of people, you get a news story every day about some new medical breakthrough or discovery of some kind. And, you know, God forbid you go online. There's all kinds of nonsense there. But just on, like, say, a television news program or a newspaper or a magazine, uh, which are what people refer to as legitimate news sources. Right. Uh, you know, when you get online, it's always some amazing trick doctors don't want you to know. And it's like, why don't they want you to know? That's never really explained. I'm not quite sure what's going on with some of this stuff. Or an amazing new diet breakthrough that lets you eat as much as you want of anything you like and still lose weight. Uh, if you believe any of that, uh, I would like to interest you in a bridge I have for sale. But even the legitimate news sources have a problem, which is that they have what is called the news hole that has to be filled every day. And stories about health and medicine are popular. People like hearing about this stuff. The problem is that making these stories sound exciting almost always means, at the very least, overstating the results and may mean hyping a result that does not exist. Now, to give you some idea of how bad this is, I'm going to reference an article from a place called journalistsresource.org called Covering Health Research, Choose Your Studies and Words Wisely. Uh, This article is very enlightening if you have never looked closely at this issue. Now, in this article... They cover the results of a story by Noah Haber and others, uh, published in something called PLOS 1. Now, you can go to the original PLOS 1 paper if you like, and I've got links to um, all of this in the show notes. But if you're not used to reading academic papers, I think the journalistsresource.org article is much more accessible. 
Now, Haber and his uh, co-researchers enlisted 21 reviewers, all of whom had at least a master's degree, and a majority of them had enrolled in or completed a doctoral program. They, in turn, looked at 64 articles that were among the most shared on Facebook and Twitter, and then at the 50 studies that were the basis for these stories. Now, the first issue they dealt with was causality. To say in a scientific study that A causes B requires some pretty strict high-quality evidence. You may have heard the truism that correlation is not causation, and that is true. For example, a study of food and drug use can show that drinking milk as a child causes opioid addiction. After all, the addicts all consumed milk as children, didn't they? Now, in reality, though, that's not the case, and no reputable scientific study would claim that. But you have to watch out for the opposite error. The opposite error is when someone piously pipes up with correlation is not causation and then dismisses anything they don't like. Uh, This is an error because every causation relationship starts with a correlation by definition. So correlation is not causation should be something that tells you, okay, there may or may not be something we need further study to pin that down. Uh, It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. And I see a lot of people doing that these days. You know, frequently it's with something like uh, climate change. And you, you point out all these studies proving that there's climate change. It's about well, correlations, not causation. I can ignore you. Go away. Uh, so that, that's not a good thing to do. Now, in Haber's study, they felt that the claims in many papers were stronger than the evidence really supported. They said that a third of the papers they reviewed made claims that the data could not support. And often the language to use is a bit weasel-worded, like saying there is an association between A and B. Well, association is just another term for a correlation, which may or may not mean anything. It's not technically wrong to say that, but what happens when a journalist gets that paper? Will the journalist be as careful as they should be? In many cases, no. But they also warn against dismissing all associational studies, you know, as we were just talking about. Uh, causation always starts with correlation. It, it's something you do want to pay attention to. You just don't want to bet your life savings on it without better evidence. Now, The article in journalistsresource.org is aimed at journalists and wants to encourage better articles. So they say, check with the author of a paper and ask them straight out if what they found is causal. Now, for you and I, that might not be an option, though there is no law against it as far as I know, but it is one way to get a handle on something. Next, you want to consider the peer review process. The best quality research goes through peer review before it is published, which means that scientists who are in the field have read the paper, examined the methods employed, and looked at the conclusions to determine if the appropriate standards have been met. In many cases, the reviewer will raise questions or even suggest additional work be done before a paper meets the standards for publishing. 
This is certainly the process for the major journals, but lately there has been a push to open up the process. Many of the major journals are very expensive and can delay publication by a year or more. In the age of the Internet, that is seen as unnecessary and a bit elitist, so many researchers have taken to publishing their papers online. PLOS 1, in fact, is an online journal that incorporates peer review, and it's part of a larger family. PLOS stands for Public Library of Science. And that Public Library of Science has a number of journals, uh, mostly focusing on biology, medicine, and life sciences. Now, in other sciences, there's something that is spelled A-R-X-I-V, but it's pronounced archive. Uh, Now, what Archive does is it focuses on what are called preprint articles that may later be published in a traditional journal, although I think Archive is starting to have some status on its own. There is moderation, but not necessarily any technical peer review for these articles. Uh, And, you know, they're called pre-publication, so that is supposed to kind of suggest that later on they probably will get published in a major journal of some kind. Now, statistical significance. Medical and biological statistics is complex. People get PhDs in this stuff, and it is regarded as one of the more difficult ones to get. And full disclosure, I am not one of the people who has done this. I do not have a PhD in medical and biological statistics, or biostats, as it's usually referred to. Now, I have, however, taught statistics at the university level. I'm an economist by training, so the stats I taught were more in the business and economics area, but I think I'm qualified to give some basic guidance on how this stuff works. Now, if a study is well done, there will be a test of significance that determines whether or not you have a real result. Generally, the way you should proceed is to state and hypothesis up front. For example, eating breakfast will raise a child's grades. That's a decent hypothesis, worth studying. Then you gather the data that can test this hypothesis. Ideally, you would have a study that has a study group, that would be the children getting breakfast, a control group, children who do not get breakfast, And right away, you see how tricky this is. Who on earth is going to make a bunch of children go without breakfast? I can just picture the politicians holding hearings on that one. Anyway, once the data is gathered, you do a test. The way this is done may be a little counterintuitive, but it works like this. Your hypothesis is that eating breakfast results in better grades. You therefore have something that is called a null hypothesis, which is that eating breakfast does not improve grades. You employ a statistical test. In this case, let's suppose it's a t-test, which is a very common test in statistics, and you choose a level of significance which generally, in most cases, is going to be 0.05, You compute a test statistic from the data, and you compare that test statistic to your table of t-statistics. 
Now, you may well have data that looks like eating breakfast improves grades, but you want to guard against any random chance. So if the probability of getting that result due to pure chance from a population where there is no effect of breakfast is 0.05 or more, you fail to reject the null hypothesis. In other words, you did not find a statistically significant improvement in student grades. A little tricky, isn't it? Okay, so what's going on? Uh, table of test statistics. All right, so the t-test is just one of a number of tests that are out there. There's an f-test, a chi-square test, etc. All of them are based on an analysis of groups of data. And what you're trying to do is, when you collect the data, you're trying to ask a question that says, could I, by pure chance, have gotten this result in a population where there is no relationship at all? And that's really what you're trying to get at. And so when you take a uh, significance level of 0 0.05, what you're saying is, I want to make sure that there is a less than 5% chance, could be 4.9%, but less than 5 uh, that I would get the wrong result here. Now, there's some interesting consequences to all of this. Um, by definition, a certain percentage of the time, you will reach the wrong conclusion. Uh, this is all based on probabilities. Statisticians refer to this as type 1 and type 2 error, but if you want, you could call it false positive and false negative. In this case, we assume a t-test with a significance level of 0.05. We will fail to reject the null hypothesis if we get a p-value, or probability, of more than 0.05 or more than 5%. Well, given randomness, that means we will be wrong in our conclusion 5% of the time, or one time out of 20 even if the research was done 100% properly by good researchers who do not make any mistake at all. Now, the proper conclusion to all of this is not, as some might have it, that nobody knows anything, so do whatever you feel like. We've made great strides in medicine in the last few decades. Many diseases that were once automatic death sentences, such as many forms of cancer, now can be managed or even cured. We do have a big problem, though, with misplaced cynicism and distrust that leads to insane ideas, like the one that vaccinations are bad for you. Uh, the, the only way to reliably avoid such things is to ground our thinking in science. But that, in turn, means understanding how science works and how we should interpret the results we get. So... This is Ahuka for Hacker Public Radio signing off and as always reminding you to support free software. Bye. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. 
Eka Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.